Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his mid-midfield. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. It's the only place you're going to hear critical analysis of the Dons week and there'll be absolutely no mention of Brendan Rodgers, apart from that one right there. Uh, joining me tonight, harder to shake off than the impending sense of doom that a visit to Pataudry has recently brought about, it's Martin Clunas. How are you doing, Richard? Very, very well, thank you. Then it's a warm welcome back to the show for a long-time cont- uh, tributor to Dons <coughs> fanzine, The Red Final. And even stand-in editor for the last issue, it's uh, Martin Ingram. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. I'm not sure about that. Was that a deliberate pause when you were introducing me there? <laughs> These guests get more sensitive by the week, don't they, Martin? They really do. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, just the other week when someone took issue with um, me calling. I mean, frankly, just they wait till they get the sort of introductions you get, eh? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of I'm just glad you've picked on Martin rather than me this time. How did I pick on him? Jesus Christ! Anyway, <laughs> lose a home game at Hamilton, and we all started each other's throat. Brilliant. Uh, but it's... whilst we're struggling at home, we're on a record equaling run of away victories. The latest of which came at McDermott Park last Saturday, a 2 0 win. Graham Shinney getting both goals. Uh, obviously, beforehand, the concern, the worry, Mr. Ingram, and this is afraid we'll have to do it this way because of the whole Martin Martin thing, uh, was Don Bollett right back. But he did pretty well. He did exceptionally well, and I think it maybe surprised quite a number of us just um, how successfully actually he was. Um, we've, I think it was the last time I was on the show, actually, we were discussing. The, the, the merits or otherwise of Don Ball in uh, a game away to Kilmarnock. Um, it wasn't entirely plain sailing because I think it's one of these things, as with a lot of games, when you look back on the fact that you know we've come away with a, a really good 2-0 away win against a, a St. Johnson team that has historically certainly always caused McInnes' Aberdeen team a lot of problems. Um, he he didn't necessarily do that great defending a lot of the time. Uh, Matty Kennedy was uh, giving him a pretty torrid time a lot of the time in defensive duty, but um, coming up the park, he certainly showed a, a level of creativity that we're probably not used to seeing from him. Um, two, two assists on the day it probably speaks volumes for him. And um, um, you know, on top of discovering what a fantastic singer he is, um, you know, the world's his oyster. Yeah, the two assist thing is a little bit generous, isn't it, uh, uh, Martin C? Because um, for the second goal, obviously, Graham Shinney runs 60, 70 yards before scoring. Yes, Matty Kennedy playing up against him did get uh, did get past him, did get uh, beyond him a few times, but apart from the cross, it hit off Devlin and then on onto the post. 
we did restrict St Johnston to to very little, really clear cut openings. With the talk about dominant balls, like yeah, we're kind of worried because he's third choice. You no, know, in terms of what we have there, he, be, he is the third choice right back, and I don't really want the third choice anything. You know, starting for Aberdeen, but you no know, needs must. So we're just kind of having to make do at the moment, which is unfortunate because it's coming at the real business end of the season. Matt speaks about Don Ball being third choice right back. Obviously, he's not a right back to trade, uh, Martin. I but. Um, what would you rather see? Would you rather see a senior professional like Don Ball playing at right back, or would you rather give uh, Mikko Vertonen, who's uh, obviously featured on the bench a couple of times lately as the reserves right back, would you rather see him run out? Yeah, you, you teed me up nicely there, Richard, because that was uh, something I was uh, speaking about, speaking, tweeting about on social media that um, um, I think uh, there was a bit of discussion around um, some fans maybe identifying the fact that should, should we have potentially been getting more right back cover into guard against this kind of eventuality, especially given that I think to, to some people's minds we have a, we have a rel- we're operating a relatively small first-team squad as it is. I, I don't necessarily hold with that. I think it's an incredibly unlucky situation to have both your first-choice right-back and then your Tommy Hogan is more than just a, a, a second-choice right back obviously he was capable of playing at centre half as well but to have both of your first two options suffer season ending injuries within a few weeks of the transfer window closing is just you know I think it's just really bad luck um, I don't necessarily have a problem with Don Ball continuing in right back depending depending on the game and who we're playing against and we'll, we'll, I know we'll, we'll probably come on to that later on when we're talking about the upcoming game on Sunday but for someone like Miko Vertanen previously in the Everton youth system he's been playing regularly at right back for the, the, the reserve team and by all accounts seems doing very well and we're, we're often pretty fickle a lot of the time you know fans on the one hand are saying why aren't we giving the youth a chance and giving them first team opportunities and then there will literally never be a better opportunity to give someone a game than when your first two choice right backs go out of the business and then all of a sudden we're looking for you know why haven't we gotten three or four right backs in the squad in order to cover for that so I, I wouldn't mind get an opportunity for for Miko to get a chance to to show what he can do in the first team, not not necessarily on Sunday, but um, you know, with as as the, as the season progresses, and particularly depending on how much we may or may not have to play for in the league going forward, it would be good to give him an opportunity. Well, there's been a lot spoken about, uh, not just on this podcast, but. Um across any kind of uh, media that deals with Scottish football, but Graham Shinney's current contract situation, any thought that he might be distracted or might not have his heart in it? Well, I think we can dispel that. Uh, we could dispel that anyway because it was just lazy, lazy chat. But his performance at, uh, in Perth on Saturday certainly went a long way to silencing those critics. Cliche time again. It was a lazy opinions where a lot of lazy things were written about Graham Shinney. And then the lazy thing you could say as well, it was a proper captain's performance. Whether he's going to be here next season or not is no, it's immaterial. No, he's going to be here till the end of the season. And so we need big performances from guys who are senior professionals. And you no, know, the captain is you no know, is technically our most senior professional, I suppose. You no, know, he was he does all the right things. You no, know, he was doing all the right things. He was kind of snapping at the tackles, winning the ball. Doing what we want from him, but then he was also doing the, the the good stuff at the the top end of the pitch as well, which I think is something that I know that we've been a little bit critical of him on here before, where maybe you know, he's not pitching in with his share of maybe assists or goals, and I know we've definitely have spoken about that. But there it is he comes up two go- two goals in the game. You know he was the difference maker for us. I'm I'm over talk. I'm over that now. I, you know it's really it's a kind of it's a dead subject. All we really need from him 
until the end of the season for the what however many games we've got left, um, including cup games, is we just need him looking forward, looking trying to get us get us three points or into the next round of the cup. It certainly has been a criticism, not just from maybe here, but from his manager as well, about the, the lack of goals, the lack of maybe influence in that top third. And particularly this season, I think there's more onus on him to, to get involved further up the pitch. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. And this maybe speaks to, again, I think we might be talking about this later on as well, about um, McInnes' recent toying with... Um, the, the formations and shape very early in matches and I think a, a lot of it comes down to how, how are we going to set up to play and how that best helps the players around them. There was a, a really good thread that uh, JJ Bull put up in the immediate aftermath of the, the, the Hamilton game where he was pointing out we're probably expecting a lot of Graham Shinney and Lewis Ferguson in, 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 a, in the current set or, or the preferred setup with two midfielders in that when Shinney's on his game and he's making those kind of, you know, 20, 30 yard runs to get himself into the box to support, but you're also expecting to be, you know, in right and centre midfield and dealing with things in defence as well. That's a, you're expecting an awful lot of your two midfielders in that regard. And one way to combat that and that, I, that, that may well be what the case will be looking at for Sunday is, do you then play, get an additional player in midfield in order to help that, which means you've got the cover of two other players to allow another player, be it Ferguson, be it Shinny, um, or someone else to, to be able to push forward and, and, and go for more. That's worked for us well in the past, but whether that's the way that McInnes intuitively wants his team to play, I, I don't know. Yeah, we will obviously have the unfortunate task of speaking about Hamilton in a few minutes' time. Going back to uh, the right-back spot, Greg Halford was brought in, um, the bonus ball signing to use uh, Calderwoodism. Now, he's uh, played all over the park, basically, but uh, most often he's been right-back. He's obviously been brought in as cover there. I can't say that I know too much about Greg Halford. He's a name that's dotted around a lot of clubs down in England. But he has played at a good level, even right up until last season when he was playing for uh, the Championship Runners-Up Cardiff for about 15, 16 times. Yeah, so he's 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 been about you know I mean you look at his um, his record he's been about a fair amount of clubs I mean he's thirty four uh, it is just clearly it's just a case of get someone in until the end of the season to fill a to fill a gap which is fair enough you know um, the clubs he's been at are all you know are all decent decent clubs decent levels you know got Forest Cardiff uh, Birmingham you know some decent teams in there so. No, I mean, he has come in, unfortunately, no, and McInnes has admitted he's no, he isn't match fit. goes back to the thing, obviously, he went straight, on the, straight into the bench on Wednesday, uh, which doesn't say a lot for what we were talking earlier on about Verton, and um, that he would, a guy who'd been a guy who'd been in Aberdeen for maybe 24 hours, get, goes, gets on the bench ahead of you know, a young lad who could actually you know, maybe make an impact if he was to come off the bench, which is kind of worrying. But you know, this guy, I mean, we don't know, I mean, don't know really anything about anything about him. I've not even, I've not even came across him in Football Manager, to be honest. Um, so I can't say I know a hell of a lot about him. Uh, we can only hope that when he's called upon, um, he's able to deliver something positive. We don't know anything about him. I can't tell you much about him. You come to this yeah. podcast for the insight, then you'll be sorely, sorely uh, mistaken. <laughs> um, I mean, really, you could argue that authenticity is the bedrock of any successful podcast, even wildly unsuccessful one like this. But it's the knowledge that the insight might not always be as nuanced as one featuring hybrid football journalists, but you're getting honest opinions from folk who pay their way into the game and are there through thick and thin. 
in that spirit of authenticity, Clunas, where were you on Wednesday night? Uh, I was. Uh, I had taken my son down to Manchester as for his for his fifteenth birthday treat. Uh, Manchester, so you were at a gig or? Uh, no, I was at Manchester City versus West Ham. Well, you were being a football tourist whilst the Dons were playing. <laughs> so, Brilliant. Uh, so when you're saying authentic, <laughs> uh, there is nothing less authentic than where I was on Wednesday. <laughs> but we're going to ask you to talk about the game. You've no doubt caught up with the highlights of the lowlights. Um, but Martin Ingram, the I think really the first thing to notice was that change of shape. We started off with a four at the back. Max Lowe picked up, yeah, another defensive injury, but 15, 16 minutes in. Mickey Devlin was brought off the bench. Uh, instead of just shifting things about to move Constantine to left back and keep Don Ball at right back, we went to th- a three and then Don Ball in a holding midfield. My, my question really is, at home to Hamilton, do you think we needed that holding midfielder or do you think he was just being bypassed? I've... Taking some time to think about that because in the instant I didn't really have a massive issue about it at the time um, just because we're obviously already playing without a natural right back as it was and then when uh, Max Lowe goes off injured you know, or nominally our starting left back I, I can understand where McInnes was going with, with that change where you know um, you could put Andy Constantine into left back but again most of us are playing Agree that oh, he's playing an awful lot at left back now, obviously. But you know, you'd consider him a natural centre half as well. So if your three defenders are all natural centre halves, there's a certain logic to then saying play, play them all as a back three. But um, I think what you've touched upon is actually probably where I'm more, more leaning now. And I'll be honest, this is more on reflection afterwards. Um, it, it maybe was too negative a shift and, 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 and too early in the game against the Hamilton team, where you know we should be expected to. You know, have the the bulk of possession and, and be, be be pressing pressing them, and I, I'm, I'm, I do wonder whether that maybe just negated some of the um, attacking edge that we were able to take going forward. I mean, Don Ball had obviously done very well in an attack in an attacking capacity just at the weekend from right back. Andy Considine has played the majority of his total at left back, and and that leaves you with uh, you know your preferred centre half pairing um, probably as well. So. Um, and, and, and just coming back, because you'd mentioned that we're going back over old, well, I'm going back over old ground here, but it's a kind of similar thought to what I had with the St Mirren game the last time again against a home game against a team that we really should be beating, and McInnes maybe overthinking situations and making a big tactical change. Okay, it was more forced in the situation with Hamilton, perhaps, but I, I ultimately do we do I don't think we do need to make those changes so early in the game when I think most people would be expecting us at one 0 down against Hamilton or submitting. I think most of us expect we have the capability to score at least two goals at home against those type of teams. And I think at both occasions, yeah, it probably was just too early to make such a such a big system change. I think the other aspect really is that the system. I mean, we're, we did create some chances with it, but. Don Ball stayed on until the 75th minute when you, you were 2-0 down and the game was absolutely gone. But I understand you lose a man after 20 minutes, you're reluctant to make the second change quite so quickly. But you know, putting a, a slightly more forward-thinking player in that role might have helped earlier on, I think, even if he'd done it at half-time. But all night, uh, even really before the change of shape... Our defence was ridiculously hesitant. They were being beaten in the air all night. And this is guys like McKenna and Devlin, who, when they played together early in the season, looked almost impregnable when it came to an aerial attack. 
but they were letting balls bounce instead of clearing them first time. I mean, that, that first goal, it's an incredible finish, uh, uh, Martin Clunas, but Andy Considine lets it bounce, and then it's just muscled out of the second ball. That's the unforgivable part of it, that I want to try and defend Andy as much as I can, but it's kind of hard to. Though the guy did have a little bit of his shirt, but not enough that, I, that Constein should be taking his eye off and, and being beaten like that. You just you just don't let it bounce. It's no, like Andy Constein's been with Aberdeen for, what was it, 12 years now? 13 years? No, he's played hundreds hundreds of games. He should know better. It's just so disappointing, and you're right. The, exactly the right word you use there, Richard, is hesitant. No, allowing them to do that. I mean, this is a team that I think I think in the last five away games they've not scored a goal. You can understand why Derek probably thought, you know what, we can go to three. We can play three at the back. You know, they're not they're not scoring a lot of goals. They're ta- they've taken some hidings lately, but then the defense just looked like they didn't know each other. McKenna had a had a pretty awful night as well. It was just, it's just worrying because you you look look at that, and then you've got you know. I don't know, getting ahead of ourselves. We've got, and obviously, we've got Sunday coming up as well. Um, you're looking for McKenna and Devlin to be assured. Uh, I understand that they've not played a hell of a lot of games together, but when you're playing against a team, and I say a team like Hamilton, I understand that you know you, we cannot just expect to turn up and be rolling over these teams three or four nil. But when you're playing against a team like Hamilton, where despite the fact they've got a new manager in and they might have that new manager bounce, they got they got absolutely done in their last game. We should be going at that game with a bit of confidence, a bit of belief. Instead, the guys looked absolutely terrified, uh, and it spread throughout the rest of the park. Yeah, that hesitancy at the back definitely did spread, and it's it's this thing about. Not just the home run, uh, Martin Ingram, but the fact that we, we haven't even taken the lead. We're so, such good front runners. And I think the key at Perth on Saturday was getting the first goal. You kind of feel it was another game, maybe like the St. Mirren game the other week, that if we'd got ahead and we had some very good chances to get ahead, that it would have been an immediate bounce to the uh, to the players' mentality. But it, it's just not happening, is it? There's just this... This franticness about the side at home right now. It's really strange that we are struggling so badly at home at the moment when in the midst of, you know, enjoying what is, you know, on paper the best run of away form we've ever had in the club's history that by comparison the forms has tailed off so badly at home. And, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not... It's not uh, rocket science to say that, you know, you're going to get a lot more confidence if you get the first goal and you get in front, and, and it has been a hallmark of McInnes' teams that when they get the lead, they tend to be able to hold out. That's less of a concern to me, though, and that, you know, that that happens in football. There are games when you, you can see it early, and it's not great to do that. It's The concern for me is that there seems to be, and it does seem to be coming from the manager as much as it is from the hesitancy in the players. I don't know how much that spread, you know, or, or that echoes off between, you know, the manager's thinking and the players' thinking, but it's that aspect that we've gone behind early in the last couple of home games and that kind of, you know, clear head and consistency of approach seems to have just gone out of the window in, 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 in recent weeks. I would hope that we can kind of get something back as and when we start getting a bit more consistency. Okay, we've lost our, our right-back options and a number of our defensive options, so it, it is hard. But where, where there's a challenge, there maybe is an opportunity there as well, and that if we can start then playing 
whatever the personnel is, a consistent defence on a regular basis, then you know it maybe starts from there and kind of building that consistency from the back again. It'll certainly help now that you know if we have McKenna and Devlin fit and capable of playing together at the centre of the of the defence. Joe Lewis has been consistently excellent throughout that period. In any event, made made another great save in the first half uh, on Wednesday. Um, but we just need that 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 you know result to get the ball rolling against at home. I thought I thought it might have came with that you know what what ended up being a really convincing win against Queen and South, and then the last couple of results have been really poor. So really hope it turns around on Sunday. The response to Gary Cole behind uh, Mark Clunes was it at least. There was some response, you know, we, we did create a couple of decent chances, start the second half, they started on the front foot, no less than you'd expect, obviously, but, Jesus, the second goal that we give away, we get away with it seconds before the move for the goal, actually, because Shinny slices one back towards his own box, which they pick up, uh, which their attackers pick up, but we get away with it, we've got it half away, and for some reason, Greg Stewart decides to try and dribble out of a dribble out uh, of his own half from 25 yards out what was going through his head there? I think he thinks he's a better, better player than he actually is because what he was trying to do is just unreal you know, you know that you know, when we're on inside our own box like that and we're just outside like Stuart was they're pushing us they're trying to close us down they're pressing us and Stuart just gets totally caught in possession whatever he was doing is inexcusable you need to be, you can't be getting caught and giving away the possession like that. No, against against really good sides, you're going to get punished for that sort of thing. Giving that away when you're 1-0 down at home, you know, the crowd are on your backs already because you're 1-0 down at home to, to, to the team that are you know, going to be fighting relegation at the end of the season. And he just, it's just brainless. It's, you know, you're looking for a little bit of football intelligence. Sometimes, just sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of excusable to kind of play it out, play it out. I'm not necessarily saying just a big hoof up the front to nobody or something for, for Cosgrove to chase or for Stevie May to chase or whoever's on the pitch at the time. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that for one second, but just a bit of common sense, a bit of cuteness, a bit of, a bit of using a football intelligence. And playing out, but instead of getting caught in the ball, and they break, they put it in the box, and there's still no, there was still work to be done. But the frustrating thing that comes from that is, they then there's nobody marking the guy in the bo- middle of the box as well. He, st- you know, he takes the shot from on the penalty spot, and nobody's nobody was really near him. No, he finds himself in absolute acres of space inside our box. We're one 0 down. We're, no, I understand you're trying to chase the game, but it was just just absolutely suicidal defending. Yeah, um, very much a product of muddled thinking throughout the side, that one. What about on a, more, uh, on a wider basis, uh, Martin Ingram? Craig Stewart's role on the side. Is he, is he currently deserving of a start? His only goals and assists since he came back have been at Stenhouse Muir. He's contributed no direct assists, no goals in uh, Premier League games. Should, for example, Stevie May be upset at being dropped? I mean... Certainly wasn't a perfect partnership with Sam Cosgrove. God knows we moaned about it repeatedly, but games were being won and they were working well together. Yeah, they were. I mean, this is the the challenge that McInnes has in relation to how do you get the best out of the players that you have at your disposal. Um, if you look at them in isolation, you compare Stevie May's contributions with Greg Stewart's contributions in the in the Premiership this season. There's no question that Greg Stewart has produced a, a far greater end product and has been the more creative player of the two. It's just unfortunate that none of it's occurred while he's been at Aberdeen. You, you need to think about the impact in relation to this as well because with Stevie May's involvement, 
okay, he's at no point did he ever really kind of capture the the, the imagination with you know the, the you know the assists he was producing or the goals that he's been scoring. That just hasn't happened. But he's always brought a level of industry and hard work to to that role. Um, and I know that's sometimes damning with faint praise because when you start using those kind of adjectives, you're immediately thinking of Darren Mackey and what in my mind anyway. I think a lot of the problem has been we didn't bring Stevie May in on that length of contract and at that kind of money um, to be, you know, the, the kind of the workhorse who's, you know, who's playing around Sam Cosgrove, but it's expectations versus reality. The reality is that although he's not maybe producing it in the assistant goals, when he was playing up front with Sam Cosgrove, it was getting the best effect for, for certainly Cosgrove and, 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 and we were getting the best results out of it. The one aspect I was personally interested in, though, is, is you've posed the question, you know, should it be Stevie May or, or, or Greg Stewart? I would pose the question, could, could, it, could it be both? Um, when you're looking back at when both Greg Stewart and uh, Stevie May had kind of produced their best football earlier in their careers, um, they were, they were both playing as inside forwards. So Stevie May quite often with St. Johnston was playing that kind of inside forward on the left side of the pitch and cutting inwards. And similarly with Greg Stewart and his, in his, in his pompit Dundee and, and to a certain extent with Kilmarnock, again, inside forward playing on the right and coming in. Um, again, it would mean a, a dramatic change in the way that Derek McInnes wants his team to play because he's very much looking at either, you know, utilising Sam Cosgrove in the middle, getting long balls and high balls in there, and, and is looking to facilitate them by players playing wide. But again, you've got to look at the players that are, that are at your disposal, and um, if you have a set of players where they're, they're, they're maybe better utilised, you know, coming more in field and play, playing that kind of ball rather than get out wide and lob long balls or, or cross balls in the box, then I think you've really got to look at that as well. Uh, Martin Clarence, who's to blame? Who's to blame for Greg Stewart's lack of form here? Is it the manager or is any blame to the player himself? I think there's a little of both. We all saw what he was able to do in the first half of the season at Colmarnock. He was basically the star of the show for them. He's not going to be that guy for Aberdeen or certainly not when he's two minutes in the door. McInnes has probably asked him just to kind of to fit into something that where he's not 100% comfortable. But no, he is a good player. Good players should be able to pr- produce at least a, a decent level of performance wherever you play them close to where their, kinda, their role should be. He needs to kind of up his level of performance as well because when he has kind of had the opportunity, he's not really delivered other than, uh, like you said, the Stenhouse Muir away game. But the manager does have to take you know, some kind of criticism there as well because we're not the kind of club that's just going to go signing somebody just to weaken our, our nearest rivals. We're going to sign them because he thinks he can bring something to the club. To then see what he's able, capable of doing and not allowing him to then play that way within our side, you, you need to give the guy an opportunity. So I think they've both got something something to answer for. Like Martin, Martin says there, it's quite interesting. It's like maybe, you know, could, you, could, could May and Stuart be accommodated? They, prob- they could be, but I don't think Derek McInnes is... is is the kind of guy who is going to drastically change changes what you would suppose we would call it football and philosophy that much to to, to change it? It would be that would be a huge change for us to see. Uh, it's not something I think we would certainly see him, him doing with those two. So it, it's difficult. You no, know, we know Stuart is a is a pretty good player. I'd like to see more of him, but you know he needs to start just giving us a little bit more when he's when he's not in what you would class as his favoured position. Here's my theory, Martin Ingram, and you can you can tear this down if you like. I, I always find Stewart to be an expert exploiter of space, and we certainly were punished by him in a, on a couple of occasions. That three three draw 
at Pitodre against Dundee uh, stands out as one. And obviously he scored a magnificent goal at Pitodre earlier this season, which again just relied on his ability to to know the space he would be able to occupy without a defending getting there and having some space ahead of him to run into. He's not going to get that very often in the type of games we've seen recently at Pitodre in a game against Hamilton, a game against St Mirren, is he? It, it maybe isn't going to suit him playing for a team that is not to stop the top of the table because obviously Kilmarnock were top of the table at points this season, but a team who other sides go and shut up shop against. I think it's always going to be the issue that we have is how do we best go about breaking down teams who are um, going to be coming out and trying to you know obviously play to get get a, a result by any means necessary. What I would say is you know that's not necessarily denigrate Hamilton. I was actually quite impressed with Hamilton's approach to the game on Wednesday. I felt they they gave as good good as they got in the game. And although we obviously still had the bulk of possessions and efforts, I, I felt Hamilton came in to a certain extent tried tried to play toe to toe with us. And um, if anything, I'd have thought that that game provided as much of an opportunity for players like Stewart to get on the ball and, and see what they can do. But unfortunately, um, in Stewart's case, he's been um, a bit too much of the time with, with the ball at his feet and dribbling, but in his own half and, and getting dispossessed for goals rather than um, in the other half of the, the, the pitch where you know, we, we, we wanted to do that. But I mean, I still think there's a role for, for Stuart in the team. I think he is the kind of player, whether it be, you know, saying beforehand, that inside forward position, or if we're going to allow them the opportunity to kind of play as that kind of, that natural 10 position. But again, it, I still think it comes back to how does, how does McInnes want to set up the team and play? Because I don't think it was an issue with the amount of, or with the way that Hamilton were setting up with this and, and the way to which, you know, they were restricting us or not. Because I actually felt for, for a lower half team, they, they, they played pretty open, actually, to my mind. I think it's more, how are we approaching and we have the ball? Because, again, this is the, the, the dilemma, I think, particularly with Sam Cosgrove. There's always been that consideration of, you know, when you've got that big man in the box, to just start lumping long balls up the field, either, you know, for hitting either diagonal balls out to the corner for, for, for players out wide or, or just getting it into the box. And that's just not that's just not Greg Stewart's game. Greg Stewart's game is about, you know, being on the ball in in the spaces between the, the midfield and the defence and, and, and looking to pick out the, the, the passes going going through the middle rather than, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the aerial ball. So, again, I think that really comes down to... I, 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 I'm absolutely convinced Greg Stewart's a brilliant player, so he, he can absolutely succeed for us, but I think we need to give him the platform to do it. Right, well, that was Wednesday night, and we could no doubt uh, pick at many, many aspects of what was a deeply deflating performance. Arguably, worst league performance, I would say, it's a jest of uh, Derek McInnes' time here. Today, on the club news front, uh, the judicial appeal which had gone in against the planning approval for the new training ground, probably safest just to call it a training ground right at this point in time, failed. So the club obviously have the green light to continue with the work that's been started and is progressing at a reasonable lick. I've passed it every day and you notice the changes, definitely. Leaving aside the stadium, which I, I, I suppose I would call myself agnostic about, there are 40 million reasons why I might be that way inclined. Training ground not being held back and hopefully still being in place for the start of next season is surely a good thing that we can all agree on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was said so many times, um, and not just on here, it's been said, you know, if anybody with 
anybody with half a brain realizes that the club needs their own need their own facilities. You only have to be within a hundred yards of someone like Craig Brown, and you'll tell you the story about Neil Cooper driving around looking for somewhere for the somewhere for the, the players to train. We can't continue that kind of situation. Whether the club need their own facilities, it's a no-brainer in in the modern era of football. You can't just you know as much as you no know, we would like them just to go and train across in the car park or go and train on the beach. It's it's twenty nineteen now. Football players now are a little bit sort of a softer breed. They need a nice wee soft pitch for them to practice on. I suspect Craig, line, uh, Craig Brown's got better chat-up lines than that. But never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, Martin Ingram, um, the, the site continues to <laughs> divide opinion. Has this ever felt to you like a decision you've been part of? I'll, I'll be careful with my words here because to a certain degree um, and I'm not going to go into detail but in a professional capacity I have had an interest in relation to how this has been developing going forward in relation to my, my own work but um, with my supporters hat on yeah I mean uh, there's obviously a division between the sport with regards to what the best way forward is you're, you're absolutely right in saying that uh, I think it's what's uncontentious is getting that training facility up and running and, and I'm glad to see that's been, been cracked on with um, with regards to did it did it need to be part of a co-located vision? Um, there are a number of high-functioning clubs, both in Scotland and abroad, that uh, manage to do very well with a, a state-of-the-art training facility, which doesn't necessarily have to be nearby the ground. Um, I, haven't said, I haven't heard anybody criticising the chain of uh, talent coming out of a club like Barcelona, for example. You know, obviously, if it was possible to have that in an ideal world, and if you take away any kind of if you're looking at it unsentimentally, um, having that opportunity to have co-located training facilities and, and football ground in the one in the one area, uh, you know, it, do, it does make sense in, in, in isolation and in the bubble. As to whether it had to be that case, the, the one thing I would say is, and I won't put it too strongly, but I think there has been a history in during the Stuart Mill tenureship, for better or for worse. I, I think they have been disingenuous with regards to some of the arguments with regards to why a move from Petaudry has to happen. I, I'm absolutely happy to accept that if the direction of travel is that they feel it's better for the, the growth of the club and for and, and, and for providing, you know, greater opportunity in the future that we need to make that move away from Petaudry and, and, and have that Kingsford, I'm, I'm absolutely fine for that. But I, I, I think sometimes the narrative have been that it'd been, you know, I think we're given the impression that it was absolutely impossible for it to be anything else other than that and Coming back to your question, that feeds into to what, to what extent have the, the fans really been listened to in relation to that? I, th- I think in reality, this has been the, the direction of travel for a, you know a good fifteen years now. You look at the state of Petaudry, the, the, the seating in the stands, um, and on the one hand, I think it's very favourable to the, the the club's argument to move to talk at the, you know the, of the state of Petaudry nowadays, and you know how it's not really what it used to be. Well, you know that that that's a deliberate choice. We could have chosen to, to renovate and improve Petaudry over the, over that period of time, but it clearly wasn't in the interest of the club going forward because I think you know the, the agenda had been set from quite a long time ago that the move to Kingsford was to, was the way forward, and, and and effectively deliberately not making any improvements to Petaudry over a year has, has done nothing but effectively bolster that argument that Petaudry is no longer fit for for purpose and that this move has to go forward. So I, th- I think in reality that's been that's been the, the course of travel. You know, it, it's been set that way regardless of you know whether people were necessarily on board of that or not. But but I don't necessarily want to get back into. I'm, 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 I, don't, I don't want to come in saying that you know it def- we definitely should be staying at Petaudry or you know there, there are obviously obvious um, advantages and merits that, that would come with a move to Kingsford and at the end of the day I, I'm, I'm in the camp of if it goes ahead 
and well, well, we'll be going ahead now. I, I'll still be following the team, and I'll be going out to Kingsford and enjoying the, the brand new stadium. And if silly is when it comes forward, so I think now is probably the case of today is a bit of a landmark decision in that it likely is the last hurdle in in, in that, and it'll just be a case of you know um, rallying the troops and going forward. Uh, fairly skillfully handled that. Let's just ask the other Martin. Would you have had? I don't know how to put this, but would you have placed more credence in what the club has been saying if you know they hadn't staged what has clearly been a managed decline of Petodre and not been quite so one-eyed, perhaps, in their public pronouncements? I'm glad you used the phrase managed decline there, Richard, because that's exactly where I was going to go. Since this has started, one of the things I, I, I would have liked to have seen, we've been told that we can't stay at Petodre. Back when George, I think George Yule came out with this with his statements initially, and I was he was interviewed. Why, if if we can't stay, no, and again, it's about feeling part of the decision. My problem, and a lot of people's problem, it is the club could just come out and say, these are all the reasons. May print a document, an A4 piece of paper that says these are the twenty reasons or whatever that we cannot physically stay there. Rather than these things being drip fed and it becomes a thing of where the club and the club have been disingenuous. I don't think there's any getting away from that. The club have definitely been disingenuous and they've they've allowed through, I think, just probably just being ill advised. They've allowed an ill feeling to come in to the support, whereas I think a lot of the supporters now don't trust the current custodians of the club and, and don't believe that they have the best interest at heart. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I 100, I'm 100% behind that school of thought. But people, I've no in the discussions with mates in the pub, people at work, that stuff. That's what some people have said, and I know, and I, there is a lot of credence to that. I just feel that the club could have, you know, as far back as, as far back as you no, know, the, the old days. You no, know, we'll remember. You know, they, they, they've they've allowed around the stadium. There's been allowed all the the, the, the flats to be built. You know, and I know the flats have been there for what? what it's probably twenty years now, isn't it? The ones in the old. The old allowed is allowed is maybe pushing it, but that, I mean that's a council well, decision. Well, yeah, that's fair enough. But you no, know, going back is you no. Know, how how long was that gasworks out of use for? You know, the club could have easily looked at that and said, "Sell us this ground, give us." You no, know, we want we want to try and refurbish refurbish Pataudry. But instead, as you said, there it's been a managed decline where they've just. They've just done the bare minimum, and they talk about um, the UEFA certificate, for example, is the big one that gets trotted out. Oh, the UEFA, we, we, we won't be allowed to play at Petodri. We're given special dispensation. Well, the reason they've, been, they've had to be given special dispensation is because they've not improved the place. You know, it's, you know, we, you know, I know you sit in the South Stand as well as I do, Richard. The South Stand, you know what? I love the South Stand. It's one of my favourite places in the world to, in anywhere to watch football. But if we're being honest, the South Stand is a, is a dump. But it's no, it's our dump. I know it's like there are nicer parts of the stadium, but that's the part of the stadium where it's sitting. The club have allowed it to be allowed it just to kind of fall by the wayside, which I think. And one of the things personally for me going for go, the going forward with this whole thing is that supporters, and I don't just mean you know I'm deliberately staying away from trying to be preachy about this because we we've done that we've we've deliberately when doing this podcast have said. Don't tell people how to support the club. And I would never dream of telling people how to support the club. But now that the stadium is a 100% going to be going ahead, it is very important that the club, the, the supporters now hold the club accountable. And by that, I don't mean this specially invited group of people that, that get to go to the fans meeting. I'm talking about, you know, we have to make sure that the people who are in charge of the club 
no find that they have to get this 100% right. You know, they, we can't, they can't allow, there can't be any errors. If this stadium's happening, it has to be done brilliantly. They need to get everything so it's to the best that they can possibly achieve. Uh, because leaving Pataudry is going to be a huge thing. You, you mentioned earlier on where I was on Wednesday. If you want to see a club that's had its heart and soul tr- totally ripped out, go look at Manchester City, where their old stadium was no wasn't the nicest place in the world, but they've moved to this lovely new place. But it was like a library on Wednesday night. I fear that when we move out there, that that's what's going to be like. You're going to take away the the, the heart and soul of the club, and I have, that that's the one thing about Kingsford that terrifies me more than anything. And I think that the support as supporters, all of us have have a right to make sure that we hold the club accountable because there's very few there's very few ways we can do that because. They don't seem to, we don't seem to have this direct line in the club. No, that now I think we need to the club, the supporters need to all get the band together in some way and make sure that there's no there's no second chances for the people in charge of the club. This has to be done the right way. But how how do you go about holding a club a, which is basically in the hands? from a shareholder's point of view, in the hands of a couple of people, Martin Ingram, how do you go about... You, you can rattle cages, you can use the red final, for example, a very fine organ. Um, yes, that's meant to be a double entendre. But, um, obviously, there are things like the Don supporters together, although I think there is perhaps out there a, a suspicion that their relationship with the club is a bit too cosy. How do you go about holding a club in the modern day to account on something like this? The answer is with great difficulty, Richard. Um, first of all, TRF is an esteemed organ, no, no more, no less. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think I remember going back to one of your very early podcasts when you had Jim Spence on, and he was talking about one of the things with regards to when you are, are a fanzine writer is, you know, as, as opposed to somebody maybe on social media or people in the press that aren't necessarily pulled up on, on their opinions, we are, we are standing on the corner of the stadium for an hour and we, we get to hear if people don't agree with their opinions or not. And interestingly enough, the last time we were selling red finals, so, so I, it, I think it must have been a, the Celtic home game before Christmas, that one of the supporters did actually come up and, and have a, you know, not, not a go at me, but a, a legitimate point saying he felt that the red final, you know, hadn't particularly been forthright enough in their views and on the stadium and what should be going on in relation to that. So if we're saying what can we do to hold the club to account, to a certain extent, responsibility lies with those of us who are fans, those of us, I'm, I'm a shareholder in the club and I would, you know, I'd have to fall within that bracket as well. What are we doing to make sure that our voices are heard and, and, and heard cohesively um, in terms of what the fans actually want? Now, again, coming back to your very original point, did, has the club done the best job in actually genuinely consulting fans and getting their opinions in relation to where they want to see their football and how they want to see that in, in the future I'd say over the piece, possibly not but you know, I don't want to be too hypercritical on that as well because there's an obligation on ourselves to supporters to make that known if we feel the club aren't doing that job satisfactorily, we, we have the opportunity at AGMs to be able to express that opinion um, I wasn't in the last one but I've been to a number of, a number of them in, in recent times where in fairness there's been there is opportunity for supporters to voice their concerns and views in that regards and, and to be honest maybe it goes along with the fact that Aberdeen is like on the field to be doing relatively speaking very well over the last few years that people tend not to have as many gripes in relation to that had, had the team really been struggling and, and that's where I agree with Martin um, there are a generation of fans coming through now who 
complain a lot about you know the fair which is on the pitch quite quite correctly in some situations, but frankly, you know, they don't know what it was like when we were shite. And God forbid, but if, I, I agree with Martin. If we're like eighth or ninth in the table, you're a long way from the city centre in Kingsford. I, I think there's serious concerns with regards to what kind of crowds. You know, we, we struggle to get five figures in you know midweek games against lower league opposition. That's a genuine concern when you then get you know when you're asking people, you know, you already can't just roll into the ground with a spare you know 25 quid in your pocket because it's electronic you know ticketing. It's another ask again then to say, well, you know, at least if you're in the city centre of a day and you want to go and see football, it's, a, it's another ask, you know, to go three or four miles out of the city to go and see your football. So uh, completely diverged off of your original question there, Richard, but we're, we're, we're past that point now. Kingsford is a reality now, and for, for better or for worse, you know, again, I, I really don't want to put down people's views one way or another. I think yeah, as a support, we just need to group together behind, you know, this is what we're doing now and, and make the best of it. Yeah, it was probably an unanswerable question, Martin, anyway, so there's there's no point uh, apologising for not being able to answer it. Um, one thing that strikes me is that it's maybe we're, we're overstating the opposition, uh, Martin Clunas, because what didn't happen, and if it was going to be effective, probably should have happened, the only formal opposition was from the No Kingsford uh, group based out at uh, Kings Wells and, and West Hill. There wasn't any formalised opposition from... Uh, within our own support base. I dare say there were people within the No Kingsford group who are Aberdeen fans, but the people who are vehemently opposed to, to moving and wish to retain Pataudry, there was no group, no grouping. There was just people bitching on social media. Is that just what life is like in 2019, or...? I think I think there's a, there's some truth in that, yeah. That you know that is just what's going to happen now. You're right. I mean, in terms of organised opposition to it, there wasn't there wasn't much. I mean, I would I would wait. I would suggest that even the No Kingsford people who were 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 pretty poorly organised as well. A, a group a group of people with you no know, with what they perceive to be their best interest, the best interest of their community at heart. I think had there been a a, a proper formal uh, supporters. Supporters group, I know you would, you would have to go about forming a new one, I suppose. No Aberdeen fans for Pataudry or something. Then perhaps that might have carried a, carried a little bit more weight, and that would have got people on board. Either either rather seen that than I've seen. You no, know, and again, it's you know only going by social media, and you no, know, it may be a very small percentage, but you're seeing people who have just kind of allowed their kind of their love for the club just to kind of subside because they see the club being. Mismanaged, I suppose they, you would say, rather than if the people who 100% opposed to moving to Kingsford or moving away from Pataudry and had had managed to get something together, then this might be totally different. As we've seen in the past with anything, trying to get Aberdeen fans to agree on the colour of shite is near impossible. Um, so something as big as this was never going to really happen, was it? Well, that's one for the poster. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the um, this, uh, news that came out today that the judicial appeal against the progress on the training ground and potential stadium site has failed and Aberdeen can continue towards that. Scott Scott quarter-final on Sunday, as you might have heard. Uh, rather dishevelled defence right now. Um, who knows who will be available? It's a total lucky dip come Sunday. Uh, basically, Martin Ingram, would you risk three at the back? And if we do, who plays wing back? My answer would be I wouldn't want to risk three at the back myself. So I don't know if that gets me out of having to try and guess who would be a wing back in that scenario. And, and if for no other reason, then I think 
we're probably going to struggle more to find. I just don't think we have players within the current squad who would be effective wing-backs. That if you're going to play three at the back, the, the, the guys you'd want to be the wing-backs are, are your Shea Logans, your Max Lowe's, you know, the, the, the guys that can come back in assistant defence but also get forward. I I thought the biggest mistake is, but I, I was not a fan of this, the... the um, 20 minutes in uh, formation changing and submitting and the worst part of that for me was flinging Lewis Ferguson out towards kind of the, that kind of right wing back role it's a it's a kind of situation where in years gone past you saw you know whenever you see guys like you know Adam Rooney kind of tracking back from 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 right right midfield and coming back to mark players it's just cringeworthy I think the, it's a dis, it's a dishevelled lineup in terms of who we've got available, but again, for me, if you look at it the other way around, at least it focuses the mind in relation to who you've got to play. For me, stick with the back four. You play your best centre half pairing, which is McKenna and Devlin. They're both comfortable playing in a back four. There are two best defenders left. Um, I think you make the best of it with Don Ball and Andy Considine at left back and right back. And, and I am fully aware of what I'm saying when I'm when I'm, when I'm saying that. Um, Dom, I said before, Dom Ball's struggling. It's Matt, Matty Kennedy. What the hell is Ryan Kent going to do to? Uh, and similarly with Candias on the right against Andy Considine. But for me, that then becomes how how do you, what do you do then to 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 best protect that back four going forward? And I think you're going to need a, a high work rate. We're really going to have to think about what players we're going to be playing in front of the, the defence as much as who's in the defence as well. It was. I know you guys have talked about it in the podcast beforehand. We we really didn't appreciate what. I mean, we talk about attacking going forward. What Niall begin in his in his in his first um, stint with Aberdeen and, and Johnny Hayes did was going forward. But for me, it was what they did tracking back back and defending. It's no it's no surprise that I, you know I don't I don't want to speak about. Um, uh, Celtic too much in that regard, but it wasn't a surprise to me that Johnny Hayes has finally ended up finding a bit of success playing in the left-back slot, because he, he did that quite a bit with us at Aberdeen when he was pushed into it and did it really well, and we miss those kind of players who can you know potentially go in those kind of positions at a push, but um, for me, I think rather than trying, the criticism for me for McInnes is trying to overthink situations when you get into this situation, I think you know exactly what, which players are left who are fit and available and can play play those in your back four and then make sure that you know the guys that are playing in the midfield know the roles they have to perform in order to try and provide them with as much protection as possible. Martin Clunas asked this before the league game. It's uh, probably a, a different slant to your answer this time given that we're not in good form at home and they appear to be hitting a bit more form. But what's our best chance of getting a result? Attack them, which obviously everyone would like to see, or is it to do what we've done to them twice in Glasgow and sit in and hope to score from a set piece? I think we're we're going to have to have to sit in against them because, as Martin mentioned there, you know the defence is going to need is going to need some help. Despite the fact that you know we've got we've got put your first choice centre half partnership. Hopefully, hopefully, pr- praying on that one that they'll both be fit and av- fit and available and nothing goes wrong. You've got full you've got the two full backs that are going to need some help. Um, so I suspect that you know we will have to sit in and try and and try and frustrate them, uh, which you don't want to be doing at home. Obviously, probably at the moment when we're playing, we're not playing great. We're on a pretty, really poor home run. We're probably going to have to weather the storm for a, for a period anyway, um, which you do you do against them because they you know they have good players. They're always going to come into the game. Compared to the last game, you know we can't afford any silly, really silly mistakes, which I think happened this time. Obviously, you know the obvious thing that we're all looking forward to is the latest installation of. The Morelos and McKenna show, 
Um, if that happens, just needs Scott to be a little bit clever, like he was in the like he was in the opening game of the season. Make Morelos do something. No, make him make the mistake. Make him be the idiot. Get make him do something stupid. The way we're playing right now, the thing, the way things are going with the home results, I think we will sit in. Am I ha- Would I be happy about it? No. Uh, but unfortunately, I think it's probably our best chance of getting a result at the moment. Yeah, are you happy about it? No. Would you care if we won the game? Oh, not a chance. No. I'll go. take, I'll take, I'll take a ninetieth ninetieth minute winner off Greg Stewart's arse. Um, that'll do me. And I'm sure it'll do all of us. Uh, I suppose the only thing you can really point to Martin Ingram is that expectations were probably even lower before that League Cup semi final game, and uh, the fear of defeat was uh, just as high. I don't know if it was if there was lower expectations then than they are now. Um, I kind of put a half uh, cheeky tweet out on Thursday morning saying, "I see everyone's confident for Sunday." Um, I th- I, th- <laughs> I think there's a lot of pessimism at the moment in relation to sport with regards to what our chances are going into this game, and not so much. Well, well, obviously partly the fact that we struggled so badly at home at the moment, but you know you've got to you've got to acknowledge that the Rangers have been uh, sadly flying over the last few games as well, but. Um, I will always look for the positives in relation to that. I, I suspect this is entirely gone to plan for us as well. We're deliberately playing shite against teams at home to lull Rangers into a false sense of security. They need very little encouragement to uh, have a, a high belief in, in, in their side and their ability and their entitlement to knock over lower class opposition than ourselves. So let's hope, let's hope that, that kind of narrative seeps in in their changing room and equally we get a bit of fire and brimstone in our own changing rooms because um, there is that possibility if we can just manage to, I don't know where it'll come from, but if we can manage to conjure up you know, uh, a, a level of performance that, that we, albeit we haven't shown any likelihood of showing from our last two months' performances, but if we can find it from somewhere, I, I suspect Rangers probably are thinking they're going to come here and give us a scalping and maybe, just maybe, if they, if they have that level of overconfidence coming into the game, if we can come out of the traps fast and put some pressure on them, um, they are there are good players there, but there are they are by no means world beaters as well, particularly at the back. And if we can take our opportunities and, and, and not concede four goals at home, we might just have a chance. Yeah, and it has to be pointed out that up until the end of January, we were practically level on points with them in the league. We're not talking about a team that are, to use his words, a class above, are we, uh, Martin Clunas? <laughs> No, they're not. They're, they're they're certainly not. And yeah, Martin's totally right there. Their defence isn't great. Um, they can be gotten at. Um, it's been shown in games, not just against us. Other teams have done it as well this season. Uh, they can be gotten at. They're they're they're, in, they're by no means world beaters. Uh, we've got we've got good players. Um, you know, they've they've got some decent players as well. Uh, but let's uh, let's not pretend that they are a million miles ahead of us. They are they are beatable. Um, it's just at the moment the confidence is a lot. I think a little bit lower because you know they've been on this good run. I think they've scored 40, 14 or fifteen goals in their last three games, so the confidence is a bit higher. You look at that and the worry kind of creeps in. But whenever Aberdeen are playing Rangers, I always believe there's a chance. Right. Well, that's about as positive an ending as I think we're going to get. To be perfectly honest, and uh, my thank you to Martin Ingram. Thank you for coming back on. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I just wanted to give you both, um, I, I, I know that you're keen to get this finished off so you can get this edited in time to get it out tonight, but uh, um, I wanted to commend you on the work you were doing with the, the GoFundMe campaign to get a couple of players sponsored for the Aberdeen FC women's team. I think that's a, a great idea. I was going to I was gonna act like um, uh, I'd be all kind of uh, Billy Big Shot and come on and say, 
because I, I thought you were still struggling to get to your tally for your second player, and I thought I would step in and say, I'll, I'll, I'll meet the rest of the money available for it, but I see you've actually reached a goal for that as well. So congratulations. And, and I'm going to have a, a little kind of uh, message to, to the football club. I don't know if there's anybody at the football club who, 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 who will be listening to this or not. Um, can we please update the, 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 fo- the football club's website so we can get more content in relation to the women's team at the moment. I think there's two paragraphs on the women's page which disappears after about two seconds of going on and, and that's about it. But I think I think we could really make a positive out of I think it's great that Aberdeen FC stepped up at a time when the, the women's team were struggling to, to bring them under, under, under their way or, or within the, the football club's uh, umbrella. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing an Aberdeen football team grace the likes at Maud Pleasure Park against Bucking Ladies and um, with a couple of here-we-go sponsored players in their, in their toe. So congratulations, guys. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really... We have... I think we each put some money in the pot, but really it's everyone who listens or follows us on social media have been... Have been tremendous, and yes, we've been able to hit the target for two sponsored players of the AFC women's team, and uh, we very much look forward to that and seeing how they get on over the course of their league season, which uh, runs during the summer in 2019. So, my thanks also to Martin Clunas for not going along to the Man City podcast this week. They di- they didn't invite me. I would have gone. Um, I'd have loved to. I would have loved to be able to criticise them instead. And we'll be back, uh, no doubt, in the aftermath of Sunday's cup tie. In the meantime, come on, you Reds, give us a display on Sunday, and see us through to a semi final.